0: Hey everyone, welcome to Be The Change. My name is Lily Mott, and today I'm going to be talking about how change comes when you become passionate about an issue. My guest this week is Aga Hayter, and he is the founder of The Education Collaborative, which is an organization that is focused on breaking down the socioeconomic barriers in education through a number of different initiatives that I learned more about through this conversation with Aga. I am a big fan of the work he's doing to address some of the challenges faced by students in St. Louis and around the country, and I am really excited to share this conversation with you. So, without further ado... Let's get started with this episode featuring Aga Hader.
1: My name is Aga Hader. I am currently a freshman at Emory University in Atlanta, and my service work really got started, I'd say, in eighth grade. Uh, it did get started a little bit before then, but when I really locked in was in eighth grade when I founded. Uh, my 1st one 5.1c3 nonprofit called the Literacy Initiative. And this program originally started off as a couple book drives here and there, but eventually it spanned into something much bigger where I brought in high school students from across the St. Louis area and even beyond when COVID hit to really just work on breaking down socioeconomic barriers in education. So really providing students, uh, regardless of their background with an opportunity to learn through reading as well as just being able to be with somebody who's close to their age and not some sort of teacher who's always talking down to them but rather someone who's able to really connect with them um, on a different level so i started that in eighth grade and um going into senior year i started the education collaborative which the mission is to break down socioeconomic barriers in education So we more worked more on encompassing all of education rather than just literacy, Um, where as literacy initiative, as I kind of moved on with the organization, I realized that we were kind of more than just reading and literacy, but rather we were building kind of a movement for education. And so I started the education collaborative my senior year. And one of our main programs I like to talk about is our Next Young Leaders program, which is really a program that's designed to help students Navigate the college admissions process, but the biggest thing that I like to talk about is our scholarship program, which was launched last March. Um, Thus far, we've received almost, I think, with all of our different applications and our scholarships, we've received about a thousand applications um, since March from high school, uh, now high school seniors um, from across the country and even the world. So it's just been really incredible to see um, how many students have reached out about the program, but also a little saddening at the same time because it shows the need um, that there is in the world for scholarships towards a college education because there's so many people out there who don't necessarily have those same resources. So our my goal has really just been to expand the program and to also get other people to help review the applications because, as you may know, it can be difficult to read a thousand applications. So I'm really trying to get other people to help with that because it's been really lengthy task. And so it hasn't been easy, but it's been really incredible getting to work on that project. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm also involved in um, my college as well. I'm currently a first year legislator on college council. So I work on kind of addressing the issues that the freshman class faces while also working on building programs, such as our Mental Health Mondays and our Travel the World Thursdays. And then I'm also an analyst on Emory Impact Investing Group, as well as the Vice President of Finance for Undergraduate Impact Investing Society. So I'm involved in a couple other things in college as well.
0: That is a great backstory. And I would love to know more about the experiences that you had that inspired you to get involved in this work. You started off so young with the literacy initiative. I think you said middle school. And now, of course, you're working on the education collaborative. But tell me more about that path that really got you to this point And what made you get started with the work in the first place?
1: Yeah, for sure. That's a great question. I think The biggest thing for me was the fact that I had a lot of those opportunities when I was in elementary school. Um, And before that, I was exposed to a lot of different resources when it comes to reading and literacy. And as I got older, I became more aware of the fact that St. Louis is a really divided community. Um, It's a place where you can drive 15 minutes from one of the richest areas in St. Louis to one of the, mo- the poorest and most impoverished areas in St. Louis. And so after realizing this and just doing more research, I realized that there's so many students out there who didn't, don't have access to the same opportunities as I did. And that was really impacting to me. And so I, in eighth grade, I gave a presentation in front of my English class where I talked about illiteracy among children and teens and poverty and how that affects um, their long term education and their job opportunities in the future. And after giving that presentation, one of the biggest things that I realized was that although I was talking about an issue, actions speak louder than words and so that's when I decided that I really wanted to take action on this issue because it was something that was important to me and something that was close to home and so I realized that I didn't want to just continue talking about this but I wanted to take steps in order to accomplish this and so I started off by again doing a couple book drives here and there at various schools libraries and stores Um, And then what we did with those books is we would donate them to local area schools and organizations. And I did this for a while until I realized that I didn't really want to give students used books because I just didn't think that was the most beneficial way to encourage students to read by giving them secondhand books. And so After a while, we started developing our after school program, which was more condensed with working with a smaller group of students. And originally, it was a program where teachers would receive books from us and they would work with their students um, in an after school program. But after a little bit, I realized that I wanted to have high school students participate in this program and be able to run a program where they're working with students um, in small groups and really helping them. with various reading exercises and just reading in smaller groups on top of um, various other activities such as like basketball and other exercises and games that students like to play a lot and so what we ended up doing was it was I think my sophomore spring was when we prototyped our Uh, back then it was called Milk and Bookies. Um, It's now changed to Books and Cookies or when we did it junior year, but used to be called Milk and Bookies. And what we did through that program was we prototyped it in two schools. And these two schools were actually shutting down at the end of the year um, due to various reasons, such as district budget cuts and just the decline in attendance and enrollment in those schools. So they decided to shutter those schools at the end of the school year. And so it was really heartbreaking being able be realizing that I wouldn't be able to work with these schools after this year. And so I decided to create one last program that would really benefit students and would really allow me to go into these schools a lot more and put together a program that the students would never forget about. And so That same spring, I decided to bring that program to students, and we hosted an after-school program where it was just a few people back then. It was my friends and I, and then a couple students from Ladue High School, and we would go there each week and work with students on just reading we would have various exercises and icebreakers to get students kind of up and moving because you know students don't really like to sit down for super long and read so we always had to have activities that would get them excited and moving and then at the end of the day we would leave and then come back next week and it would just be a continuous program and it was just really cool to see the students bond with our high school volunteers and it was definitely in a different way than students with teachers because Oftentimes, teachers are just yelling at the kids constantly to get them under control, whereas with high school volunteers, they're not going to be yelling at the kids. They're going to be working with them and making sure that they're getting the best out of the opportunity. And, of course, students are going to run them over sometimes, and that's why there's also teachers at the sessions. But that was just really cool to see the fact that it wasn't just like – oh, it wasn't just like an older person like talking down to someone, but they're really making and creating friendships um, that will last forever in both the volunteers' minds and the students' minds. So that was a really cool program. And we can continue that into the next year until COVID hit where we were forced to shut down all our programs and move to virtual format. But that's kind of how it all got started and kind of the process that I'm um, incurred during that.
0: Thank you so much for telling that story because I think it's great that you were able to evolve and grow your organizations over time as you saw new challenges that you wanted to address and as you had more experiences. So, along those lines, can you tell me about some of the issues that you saw students facing in the schools that you visited and the schools you were working in? You've spent so much time working on this issue now. And what are some of the biggest challenges being faced by the students who are involved in your programs?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I would, first off, I would say that the teachers are the ones that are really holding everything together. They're kind of the people who, Run the place and make sure that all students are getting what they need and what they want. One of the biggest things that I would say in regards to what schools need more of is funding. I mean it's hard especially because in low-income areas a lot of that funding comes from taxes, specifically from housing, and so a lot of times in more impoverished areas it's harder for people to pay taxes if they don't have a job or if they're currently going through a hard time. And so those taxes directly benefit the schools. But if the schools don't get that money, then they don't have enough money to support the students at their school. And so a lot of the times I would go to these schools and I would see that they didn't necessarily have facilities that were up to date or they didn't have like the newest science equipment in their science labs. And so I think the biggest thing is funding and really having Other outside organizations even provide grants to these schools to allow them to have new books for their library or to have updated science equipment. Because if students are working with equipment that's really outdated and barely works, they're not going to have fun in the classroom. They're not going to be excited to actually learn science because they will be more worried about the fact that the instrument they're using is not working or they have to share with a couple other people so they don't get their own experience. So I would say that is one of the biggest things is just funding to be able to make sure that students have those opportunities. And But there are some great programs that schools have been putting together and that the government helps with. And one of the biggest ones is free or reduced lunches for students who live below the poverty line. And this was one of the things that I saw at school at the schools that I was at was these students were getting meals um, regardless of whether or not they were able to afford them although they were not necessarily the best meals and I know that's hard to do especially with the number of students that there are um, in the entire nation but what I saw from when I went to these elementary schools in more impoverished communities their food was not super nutritious. There was maybe like a hot dog, chips, and then like an apple or something like that. It wasn't super nourishing for students. Um, but I mean, they are doing the best in what they can. Uh, and they are trying to make the most of what they're able to utilize. But I think that implementing more programs where they're able to also give food after the students leave, because a lot of students end up going home hungry because their parents aren't able to afford food or they're not able to have food for a night. So a lot of the times that I think there can be more programs implemented for students, but again, everything costs money. And in those areas, that's not really where they're able to get that funding. But I think that with organizations such as Literacy Initiative and other after-school programs, they're really working to bridge that gap and making sure that students have a meal before they go home. I know for our program, we worked with Panera Bread, so we would provide students with bagels and pastries and we would have chips or apples available for students after school during our program so that way they could take a snack to go home or they would be able to eat a bagel before they leave and that way we at least provide them with something so we know for a fact that they're not going to go home and not have something in their stomach whereas if they weren't participating in the after school program and they're just going home after school who knows if they would have a meal uh, at home or have anything in their stomach afterwards. So these after-school programs are really helping to make sure that students have an opportunity to have some sort of education after and outside of the classroom um, when their parents may not be at home right away after school, um, but then also making sure that they're fed and they are able to eat before they go home because a lot of the students don't have those resources at home. I guess those are kind of the biggest things. Also, one of the other things that I would like to touch on really quick, I think this is more geared towards middle school and high schools especially, but in lower income communities, I forgot what the exact statistic is, but I was looking this up a few months ago when I was writing an article, the lack of access to counselors at schools is a really big issue and mental health is becoming an increasingly um, pertinent issue in today's society, especially among high school students and college students because they're going through virtual learning and a lot of the times they're not getting those same connections that they did in the past but even when they're at school a lot of students especially in those lower income communities deal with stuff at home and they may go some may go through more than others and not having enough counselors to support each and every student is a really rough thing because it can't just all be on one counselor to help 500, 600 students, but there needs to be more than even just a couple of counselors who are able to support students because especially once again, those lower income areas, students go through a lot in their household, even inside of the classroom. Sometimes they may not fit in with everyone else. And so they need someone who can they can go to, not have to wait like a couple of weeks to make an appointment, but rather be able to go to them at any time, send them an email and have a response right away because of course, mental health isn't something where you can wait super long and have an appointment and you'll be all fine, but rather it's a kind of a continuous process where if you are feeling some way, you need help right away. Typically, Um, you can't wait two weeks. You have to, you need, typically will need help right away. So I think having more counselors and more funding for counselors is really important, especially with the onset of COVID and also just having people who reach out to students, especially when they're in that virtual environment. And making sure that all students are okay and kind of able are getting everything that they need and stuff like that. So I think those are kind of the main topics that I would focus on.
0: Definitely. And my parents are both public school teachers, so they're going to love that you said that. They're going to love this episode. So I have one more question for you lots of young people, particularly college students, high school students, they want to create change, but they may not know how or maybe where to get started with that process. Do you have any advice for those people who may be listening?
1: Yeah, I would say kind of follow your passions and your what your interests are. It doesn't have to be something that's super big. Um, you don't have to make huge change you don't have to impact like thirty thousand people to make a change if you make a change in one person's life you've made a difference in the world Um, something that i did actually for my graduation was i um, brought all my friends together at my friend's house and we packed meals and then we provided them to various shelters and we actually stood in front of a walmart at the end of the day and handed them out to um, walmart patrons that were leaving or coming in and it was just really crazy to see the number of people who were just overjoyed by the fact that they got a free meal and they were like is this really like is this really free and we're like yeah it's free go ahead and take one and i remember this one there was plenty of these stories but there was this one father who was like talking he was talking to us and he was telling us how they didn't have a meal for tonight for his kids and so he took three or four boxes and was able to then provide his kids with a White Castle slider or a grilled cheese, um, a donut and stuff like that, because we established these partnerships with places like Raising Cane's, White Castle, D- Dunkin' Donuts to provide us with uh, free meals that we could give these families. And it was just a really overwhelming experience to see the impact that we had in just one day of just packing a bunch of meals and giving them out to people. And that's honestly it's not even super difficult to do. You could do it for a birthday, you could do it for even just like a weekend. You could be like, "Hey, talk to a couple of your friends. We'd be like, "Hey, let's pack even like 20 to 25 meals." We did. I don't remember how many we did, but we did over 300 and it was a crazy experience. But you could even do like 20 or 25, reach out to your local Dunkin' or reach out to your local Panera and be like, hey, is there any uh, food that you'd be interested in donating? Or do you have any leftovers at the end of the day that we could potentially have and use those for giving them out to people who may not necessarily have anything to eat? And actually, there was another one person who was who came up to us and grabbed a free meal. And he actually sat on the side of Walmart and ate the meal and right in front of us. And it was just, it was really crazy to see that number of people who actually needed meals in this community, that community that we were in and who were going to this Walmart. And again, it just comes to show how anybody can make a difference. Anybody can call their local Dunkin' and be like, hey, would you be interested in donating your leftover donuts instead of throwing them away at the end of the day? Because those can go to people like they're they're freshly made that day and we're giving them out the same day. So it's like, instead of throwing those donuts away, they can be given to people who don't have a meal. So I would say it's not difficult to make a change and the impact that any person can have is truly tremendous. And Honestly, I think the biggest thing for me too is passion. You have to be passionate about something to truly make a difference. And that's the thing for me is I've always been passionate about making a change in the education system. And that's the reason why I've pushed forward for the Literacy Initiative, the Education Collaborative, and the Next Young Leaders Program, because it hasn't always been all sunshines and rainbows it hasn't been easy to continue with this especially when I was involved in a lot of things in high school I would have um, sometimes a lot to do with literacy initiative and I can maybe do an assignment on time because of that but it's so, those sacrifices that you make for the better um, and for the just to make a difference and yeah I think I don't know where I'm going with that now, but I, I just, I think that anybody can make a difference no matter how big or how small anything that you do goes a long way and anybody can make a difference. It doesn't matter what age you are. And I think my story has a lot to do with that. I was 13 when I founded the literacy initiative, although people in the beginning were like, you're 13 years old, you won't be able to do anything. Look where I am five years later, having impacted so many people through these programs and through various events that I've done throughout these few years. And I think that anybody can do that too. It doesn't matter how old or young that you are, anybody can make a difference regardless of your age and your ability.
0: It was great to talk with Aga about his work because I always love learning more about education advocacy, and I think he is working on so many important issues that are impacting the students in his community and around the United States every day. I think he's completely right that anyone can make a change, regardless of ability, age, or any other factor. But I want to emphasize Aga's point about the importance of having a passion, because I think it's so clear just how much passion AGA has for his cause and the work he's doing. He was in middle school when he began to realize and learn more about the socioeconomic injustices in his community. He continued to learn about the issue, and then got to work with the Literacy Initiative and then the Education Collaborative in order to combat those problems that he witnessed. As he got older, he developed this passion for education advocacy, and now... As he explained, so much of his time is devoted to this cause that he's passionate about. I really appreciate how Aga has chased his passion for making a change in the education system, and I think his story is a great example of how change comes when you become passionate about an issue. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and you can connect with Aga on Instagram at VLAga to get connected with him, and you can find the Education Collaborative on Instagram as well at the EduCollab. If you want to talk about anything I mentioned, please reach out to me by email at lily at bethechangepodcast.org or on Instagram at bethechangepodcast. Tune in for my next episode, but until then... Be the change you wish to see in the world. Bye, guys.